This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello everyone and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Friday, December 8th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about James Cameron's The Abyss. My name is Ben Pearson. I am an editor at SlashFilm.com and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor and chief film critic, Chris Vangelista. Hello. All right, Chris, I had a chance to see the movie The Abyss for the very first time. Uh, This was earlier this week. I I believe it was Wednesday night. There was a nationwide re-release of this movie in theaters and I'd never seen it before and had been waiting for you know a good version of the film to come along I think my understanding is that it's been really hard to find in like a high quality uh format for a long time um I believe James Cameron is about to release a 4k version of it on you know at home so if you missed it in that one night only theatrical thing uh then you'll be able to catch it you know at, at home sometime very soon um but yeah, what, what is your relationship with The Abyss? I just thought, you know, because of that, and I know a lot of people um, anecdotally had a chance to attend that screening, it would be a good opportunity for us to talk about the movie a little bit. But um, yeah, what's your relationship like with this movie? Yeah, so I did not see the new, the 4K, the new version, the new restored version. Um, uh, but I I kind of grew up with this movie. I, I mean, I watched it on VHS because that's how old I am back in the day. <laughs> And uh, I I love this movie. It's it's one of my favorite camera movies. Um, and I just remember it being such a inherently watchable movie. It's one of those movies where you just get really sucked into it from from start to finish. And uh, it's kind of easy to take for granted how like groundbreaking this movie. Is. Like this was sort of at the forefront of of digital effects. And you know we take it for granted because everything has digital effects now. But the effects in this movie were uh, ahead of their time in a lot of ways. Like they were, they're pioneering things basically. Like, mm-hmm. you, know, you, you wouldn't get Terminator two without the, like the, the, the water. Uh, I don't even know what to call it. I think it's called a pseudopod, but they never actually say that in the movie, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, but it's just a great, uh, and it's just a great movie. It's a great blending of what Cameron does where he's, yeah, he, he does, uh, you know, big special effects, but he also does character drama really well. And it, it's like, this is, you know, at its heart, a character drama that just happens to have big jaw-dropping special effects all through it. And mm-hmm. Cameron is so good at that. Uh, you know, he's so good at the, those those character beats, those, those dramatic beats. And, you know, it's a, it's a story about people, really. It's, you know, these people who are, you know... Uh, submerged beneath the sea and we get to know all of them really there you know there's every character in this movie is kind of memorable in their own little way and uh 
Yeah. They're not like particularly subtle because that's like, I mean, say a lot about, you know, you can say a lot about James Cameron, but like subtlety has never really been his strong suit. It's kind of like, um, you know, these characters are very pared down and very like, there's this one guy called the hammer who like used to punch guys a lot and punches a guy in this movie. And like, yeah. you know, that's kind of like the extent of his personality it kind of feels a little one note, but like for a movie like this, that has such um grand ambitions in its like epic scope of storytelling that kind of thing really works. Like Cameron is maybe better than any other director at being able to sort of um, make those like what could otherwise be seen as one note characters kind of sing, you know, like that there's um, he's so good at like stripping things down to the, the absolute minimum, but still making it feel like they're more than just, you know, a, a paper thin type of character that like hasn't been given enough thought, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Light and Magic is this um, documentary series that came out last year. We talked about on the podcast that is about uh, the history of industrial light and magic, the special effects company. And they talk a lot about the making of the abyss and that. So if you if you have not seen that series yet and want to learn more about like the technical stuff that Chris was talking about, the, the, the um, CGI uh, innovations and things, I would definitely recommend checking that out. Um, Chris, I have to say, like when I was watching this movie, First of all, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought uh, it, it was like tremendous. And then the ending of the movie happens. And I kind of like found myself trying to grapple with how I felt about it because it, it takes a big turn. And then later, only this morning before, you know, finalizing this podcast, did I realize that what I had seen is actually like an extended edition of the movie. It's a, the special edition is um, is the ending of the movie is totally different than what happened in the theatrical cut. So which version of this movie did you grow up watching and have you seen both of them? I've seen both of them. I think I've seen the, I have, I have a DVD cause it hasn't been on Blu-ray until or whenever the Blu-ray is coming out. So I have a DVD and the DVD I have is the extended edition. So that's kind of the one I'm more familiar with, but I have seen both of them. Okay, um, so we're going to spoil the movie if you haven't seen it and you want to, you know, use this as an opportunity to like inspire yourself to to see, seek the movie out on home video when it comes out. I think it's later this month. I don't have the exact date in front of me. Um, then, and, and you want to like watch it without being spoiled. Uh, maybe tune out now and come back and revisit uh, this conversation. But um, yeah, man, I, I was just I found myself like so blown away by this movie, and most of the time I spent like with my jaw hanging open, just going, how in the hell did he actually make this? Like, do you know about the behind the scenes stories about how Cameron actually pulled this stuff off of you? Like, you know, researched the making of the movie or watched any behind the scenes stuff about it. I remember when I was younger, I watched like the, the making of featurette and how they did it all. But it, it, it is one of those movies where it's like, especially for the time it was made, this was made in 1989, which is like insane. Cause it doesn't feel dated. It feels like very, uh, I don't want to say modern, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel dated at all. And it's just, it's one of those movies where every scene is like, how are they, how are they pulling this off? Are like, are they really underwater? Like, what yeah. are they doing here? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I read this New York times article from 1989 about the making of the movie. And I'll just run through a few of the highlights that I learned. So it was shot in an abandoned nuclear power station in South Carolina. Evidently it was like the, the only place that had like water tanks big enough for them to, to actually film in. And there's a scene, uh, one of the plot points in the movie is about this, um, this like uh, the Navy SEAL scientist brings this um, special kind of water down to the, uh, the 
substation or whatever, and talks about how uh, humans and animals can actually breathe liquid. And I thought that this was just like a sci-fi concept invented for this movie. And there's a, a moment in the film where one of the characters has a pet rat and the uh, Navy SEAL guy, scientist person, basically like forces the pet rat down into this liquid to prove that this rat will be able to survive breathing, you know, liquid through its lungs. Like, and they show it in the movie. And I'm like, how are they doing this? What the hell is happening? And evidently the rat actually did breathe. They call it liquid fluorocarbon, which had been successfully tested on animals before, but at the time it had been tested one time on a scientist who almost died. So no human has ever been able to do this, or at least in 1989, I don't know about now. Uh, and then, you know, so, so that was kind of like a mind blowing thing. Like, holy shit, this actually exists and it's a, a weird thing. So Ed Harris's character is supposed to be breathing through that um, at a later point in the movie, but he did not do that. He held his breath inside a helmet that was full of liquid. And when he could not hold his breath anymore. He pushed open his faceplate and a professional diver who was like hovering nearby swam over to shove a regulator in his mouth that that was attached to an oxygen tank. So like the making of this movie just sounds absolutely hellish. I remember reading that like Ed Harris like refuses to talk about making this movie. Like he had such a hard time shooting it. Like he doesn't want to talk about it. So it, it, it's, you know, Cameron is not, um, uh, I don't want to say he's like an abusive director. He doesn't seem like a monster, but he definitely pushes his cast. And like, it just seems like this was not an easy movie to make. And it looks like it was not an easy movie to make. It just looks like, holy shit, they did a lot to make this movie. Yeah. And because this is an eighties movie and CG was like just on the cusp of, of what it became, you can tell that like all of the water that they're actually going through is real. And like, you know, they, the pseudopod sort of alien creature, um, you know, of course it was groundbreaking. It looks a little, um, maybe a little cheesy to the modern eye or whatever, but like you can tell that that was as far as they had advanced in terms of creating water. So like <laughs> most of what you're seeing is them actually dealing with these real elements, which are, um, yeah, just like punishing to, to think about. Like they, I think they, I read that they spent six months of shooting 70 hour weeks and uh, the actors played their scenes 33 feet below the surface, which was too shallow for them to need decompression to avoid getting the bends. But Cameron and the crew actually went lower, like deeper than that. They went down to 50 feet. So they had to stay down there for like five hours at a time. And to avoid decompression sickness, they would have to hang from hoses halfway up the tank for as long as two hours, breathing in pure oxygen. And then every three days, they would have to sit in their hotel room for an hour, just wearing oxygen oxygen masks, just breathing pure oxygen. So like, uh, yeah, just bonkers stuff. And um, I don't know, I kind of feel like all of it was worth it. Like, I, I know that must have been an absolutely miserable experience for everybody. But like the final product is like, so like you said, so watchable. And it kind of feels like, um, like, like a, a, a hidden gem to me um, because it just hasn't been, you know, super widely available in a great quality. I feel like there's a lot of people out there right now who are seeing this movie for the first time and sort of discovering it. Um, what do you feel like uh, how this sort of, um, I guess, like how this stands in terms of uh, Cameron's filmography, Chris? Yeah. I mean, I, I saw like a lot of people online being like, I just saw this for the first time for the re-release and now I blew my mind. And like, I kind of love that people are discovering it now. It does. It definitely like, like I said, I grew up with it, but it definitely does feel like this sort of like, uh, not forgotten movie, but just because it's not so readily available, you know, it's, it wasn't, 
it, I think it was just like streaming on Amazon a few years ago. But other than that, it, it's not like often streaming. And it's like I said, it hasn't been on Blu-ray until you know now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it definitely feels like one of those camera movies that doesn't get talked about as much as, you know, like Terminator or Titanic or uh, Avatar, of course. So uh, it's, it's great that people are just discovering it now. And it's a reminder of, you know, once upon a time, movies looked amazing. <laughs> like, once yeah. upon a time, like once upon a time, filmmakers really pulled out all the stops to, to show us things we hadn't seen before. And we've kind of lost that now because everything is sort of like mundane at this point. Like everything is digital and, and uh, familiar and we've seen it all before. And it's very rare. Like Cameron is one of those few filmmakers still working right now who, who's committed to sort of giving us spectacle for lack of a better word. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I said this before on the, on this podcast, but I'm, I miss that. I miss that era of where movies were, were kind of like magical, like that, that, that period where, filmmakers and tech the technology was sort of being still developed and there wasn't sort of artistry at work it wasn't just let's do everything on a computer it was you know let's actually go out there let's go in underwater let's let's you know do all this stuff you mm-hmm. know? and you know there's something to be said about you know putting your actors through that and uh you know i'm sure actors would much prefer to work on dry land against a, a green screen that submerged <laughs> themselves underwater for hours. But you know, I, you know, I, I love that th- this is being rediscovered again. I love that, that this is sort of getting a second chance. I wish it hadn't been like a one night only thing. I wish they had yeah. like, kept it in theaters a little longer because you know, what the hell else are people going to do? Like, like give people more chance to see the abyss in theaters because it yeah. hasn't been in theaters in so long. Yeah. It's like, I guess there's that, that um, thing about, you know, scarcity and kind of like making it feel like an event with the one and only thing. But yeah, at the same time, I fully agree. Like, you know, if you couldn't make it out, like you kind of missed your opportunity that sucks for people who were busy that night or working that night or whatever the case may be. So, um, yeah, anyway. Okay. So uh, let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about the ending of this movie. Cause I have to talk to you about the ending of this, Chris. Yeah. Okay. So the end of this movie, uh, you know, th- there are these aliens in-, in the deep and, uh, Ed Harris's character, goes down and basically like sacrifices himself for all intents and purposes to uh, prevent a nuclear warhead from detonating down in the sort of like alien territory. And as he runs out of oxygen, he is rescued by one of these creatures. And the, uh, like in the theatrical cut, I I read that um, basically the, the ship just kind of lifts him and, and everyone back up to the surface and everyone sort of reunites and like that's kind of it like that that's the end of this movie but that is not what happens in the end of the special edition um chris do you want to tell me like what you were i know it's probably i'm springing this on you it might have been a little while since you've seen this movie but what do you remember about about the ending of the special edition of this yeah so what i remember is uh there's this whole thing about the aliens create like a tsunami or like a giant wave and it's going to wipe out the coast and at the last minute, they pull it back, and it's because uh, Ed Harris loves his ex-wife, Mary Elizabeth <laughs> Mastrantonio, and that's a very Cameron-esque thing, where it's like, love will save the day, and it's 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 admittedly, like, really corny, but I, I kind of like it, you know, I love that little, that, the relationship between Harris, Ed Harris and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio is, is really well-developed in this movie. There's a, there's a great little visual thing where Ed Harris's character has yet to take off his wedding ring and 
there's a scene where like he stops a door from shutting because the ring on his finger stops it. And that's such a great little visual gag. And it's like, ah, the, his love stopped that door from shutting. Mm-hmm. And it's like his love stopped the tsunami from killing everybody. So that's, yeah. that's basically what I remember. Yeah, that's right. So he's down there, you know, he, he meets up with the aliens basically, and they kind of present him. They, they do like a parting of the red sea kind of thing where he's like, uh, standing and breathing air in this like underwater um, city that they have down there that looks kind of amazing for the time. And they um, they don't communicate with him via, you know, spoken word or telepathy or anything. They actually play, they, they uh, project news footage on a wall of water that they are able to form. So he asks them questions about you know, what, what are they doing? What are their intentions? Um, you know, why, what are they planning on? And they respond by showing news footage on, on this wall of water. So basically the, what he learns is like these aliens are, uh, very, very close to destroying all of humanity with these massive tsunami waves that pop up all over the world. And they like hit their crest, they hit their peak, and then they are able to stop them there, these aliens, because they can control water. And Ed Harris is like, why do you want to destroy humanity? And they show him footage of Vietnam and all the, you know, Hitler and like all these horrible clips of human atrocities that we've committed on each other over the years. And then he says, why did you decide to save us, basically? And they they play him back this message that he sent uh, to his wife when he was like about to die or thinking he was about to die down underneath the water. Um and so like his sacrifice is basically what saves the entire planet in the movie. So, yeah. um, yeah. So, uh, then they like basically like relay that information to the, the Navy and like the U S um, you know, uh, war forces that are kind of hovering on the surface above this, uh, sunken lab or whatever. And there's a moment where one of the guys up on the, on the ship is like, uh, reading out the alien message or, or Harris's interpretation of the alien message and looks to, you know, a, a general or an admiral or somebody. And he's like, looks like you boys are going to be out of business. Like, yeah. talking about how, like, <laughs> how, like basically the entire, like, uh, you know, us war machine is going to be, um, it's going to be like disassembled because these aliens are, are essentially like giving us a strong threat of like, you know, I've shown you now that I can take it up to the brink of destroying your entire species. And I'm giving you one last chance because this guy decided to sacrifice himself uh, for the love of his ex-wife or soon to be ex-wife or whatever. Um, so it's just kind of like really hokey. And then, it, you know, the whole thing lifts up and like the effects are kind of iffy. And I think my understanding is that Cameron like did not have the money to f- finish the effects to his liking. And that's part of the reason why it didn't appear in the theatrical cut. But you know, a few years later, he was able to sort of scrape the funds together and, and technology had advanced a little bit uh, better to, to make the waves look more improved and things like that. So, um, anyway, yeah, I was just wanting, uh, wanting to ask you about like this, this hokiness aspect. Um, and you seem to be on the positive side of it, but that was the moment, Chris, where I, I saw the movie, I was like fully on board. And then I was like, man, this is like super cheesy. I'm not quite sure how I feel about this. You know, it makes me wonder, like, how quickly did humanity blow it after getting that second chance? Like, (laughs) and it's in the world of that film. Like, I'm sure it was like a week before, like, they were like, well, we can't get rid of our bombs. And then the aliens were like, you know what? We're just going to kill you all. (laughs) Yeah. Like, if if I were the aliens, I would just be like, you know what? These people, they're they're hopeless because there's no way. 
you know, reality has taught us there's no way we we learn from our mistakes. If anything, we double down on them and make things even worse. So <laughs> I'm sure it was like a day or two before the aliens were like, you know what, you blew it. We're gonna we're bringing back these those tsunamis. Um, but it, it like I said, it is admittedly very corny, but I don't mind that corniness. I feel like there's a certain uh, wholesomeness in the in that corniness that I love, and I, I love that the movie is so anti-military it's a very like the 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 military are the bad guys in like michael bean's character like is he like a marine or like a navy i think he's a navy seal yeah yeah so like the the military industrial complex basically is is the bad guy in in this movie and it's such a cool like thing like cameron is very you know say what you will about james cameron he he, you know he makes big action-packed movies but he does he's not like pro-military at all like the avatar movies are very anti-military too like they're very Mm-hmm. much movies about like how the military industrial complex is just evil as hell and prone to just doing really bad things. And that's, that's a subversive thing for like a big blockbuster to do, you know, cause a lot of, a lot of block, like the Marvel movies get, you know, help from the military. Like the, like Captain Marvel was like aided by the military to make that movie. So it's the complete opposite from Cameron where he's like, you know what the military, they're the bad guys. And, I'm going to show you how wrong they are and how, you know, what's, what can conquer the military. It's, it's love, Ben, only yeah. love can conquer the military. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So like aside from this movie and Piranha 2, the spawning, I had seen all of James Cameron's narrative features uh, leading up to this. Have you ever seen Piranha 2? I have. I saw it a long time ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've never seen that one. <laughs> still, still on my list. Um, so I kind of had this vision of James Cameron in my mind as this like brash, loud, screamer kind of dictatorial director who makes really muscular movies. But the fact that he made a major movie in 1989 in between aliens and Terminator two that ends like this. And I know that this was not the, the ending that people saw in 89, but still like this seems to be his preferred ending. Right. So like that he wanted to end like this, it it kind of changes my perception of who James Cameron is as a director. Like, you know, the, that subversive subversiveness that you were talking about was on display, you know, pr- fairly early in his career, you know, like th- this is, this is before the success of him as like this ultimate nineties director. And this movie has like some of that classic Cameron muscular filmmaking in it. Like all of the, basically the first two thirds of the movie of, um, you know, it's just this really thrilling, like gripping, compelling character drama slash, uh, underwater action suspense kind of stuff that's like it really works like super well and this ending is like maybe the cheesiest thing that he's ever done even with titanic like basically titanic no longer feels as much of an outlier in his career to me after seeing what he wanted to do with the ending of this movie so like what do you think about that sort of duality of james cameron like this guy who you know makes these like uh down and dirty like p- kind of um you know, in, innovative and like uh, occasionally um, bleak science fiction and and like action uh, classics. And then also it, within that same guy is this guy who can do, you know, the, the sweeping romance of Titanic and like the, um, the I, I mean, even the ending of this movie is kind of like the sweeping romantic gesture that is like not afraid to get cheesy. What do you think about like what that says about Cameron as a storyteller? Yeah, you know, people, a lot of people associate Jim Cameron with action and guns. And, so, and and it's true. His movies are full of like big action scenes and lots of gunfire. But 
Jim Cameron at his heart is like a hippie. He's a, he's an anti-establishment hippie guy. Like even his movies with big weapons and stuff like that, they're, they have this built in distrust of the, you know, aliens, you know, the, you have the, the space Marines in that movie and there's lots of gunfire, but that movie is about, you know, how ineffectual those, those people are. And uh, Terminator two, you know, the villain in that movie represents the police, you know, he's, he takes the form of a cop and, there's a running theme in Terminator 2 where the Terminator is being taught to not actually kill people anymore, you know, and to not to, to sort of be non-lethal. And it's it, it, it's kind of like a it's it's an interesting contrast that you know you, we associate Cameron with this like slick steel and guns and, and explosions. But deep down, he's 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 a he's a hippie. He's a very hippie ish guy like those Avatar movies are, very, I think, the closest you can come to his actual sensibilities where, you know, being one with nature and mm-hmm. he loves, he loves to be underwater. I'm sure he's underwater right now as we're recording this. <laughs> he's just like in a submarine, just hanging out. That's like his natural habitat. And, you know, he's a, he's an artist at heart. You know, he started off doing storyboards and stuff like that. So I just think that it's just a, a fascinating contrast that we, we associate Jim Cameron with action, but deep down, I think he's just a, a sensitive guy. He's a sensitive guy who can be a jerk. I'm sure he's, you know, there are lots of stories about him being a jerk on set. So I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay that, but Mm -hmm. I do think he's just like at at his heart. He's like this sensitive artist guy who just happens to make really violent movies. Yeah. And I would encourage people if you've never seen the abyss to seek it out because like, there's a lot of um, shots in this movie that reminded me of the stuff that he's doing right now. Like this feels like a, um, a, uh, what would you call it? Like a, a kind of like a ground zero type of project for him. Like obviously he's he has spent a ton of time under the water, you know, making uh, undersea documentaries and things like that. And I believe he like learned to scuba dive when he was a teenager. So, and, and I was reading a little bit, I don't know, I didn't like fact check this, but it seemed like he came up with the lo- very, very loose story for the abyss when he was still like, very young, you know, 18 years old or something like that. Um, so like this, this has been part of his interest set for a long time, but like, this is the first movie I think that he made where it, it deals with the water in a really, really, <laughs> I was going to say it deals with the water in a significant way. I have not seen Piranha 2, the spawning, which I also assume deals with the water pretty significantly. Uh, but, but, you know, these, these themes that he returns to over and over again, and like some of the, um, the action filmmaking and stuff actually seems like he is kind of just um, iterating on what he did in the abyss when you look at something like avatar the way of water and there's that that big uh action climax where zoe saldana's character and her kids are like in that sort of um uh what, what would you call it like that that sort of uh like on the water faci- that that like big ship facility that is like slowly sinking like an, and like an aircraft carrier sort yeah. of that, like a futuristic aircraft carrier yeah, and they're like almost drowning because they're like trapped in this sort of like metal confined space. Like there's a lot of that same imagery on display in The Abyss and and it's all like super effective stuff in terms of in terms of like, you know, the visual storytelling that James Cameron loves to do. So, anyway, I would just encourage people, you know, even if you don't like fully connect with like the uh <laughs> the cheesy ending or whatever. I think this movie is worth watching um, you know, for for the whole rest of the movie, the performances are all great, like the music is great, like the, it just really feels like an epic um, yeah, like you said, kind of like movie for adults that is really, really uh, enjoyable to watch. But also it's interesting to watch this like through the the singular James Cameron lens of like, 
oh man, this is stuff that he's really, really interested, interested in as a filmmaker that he returns to over and over again. So, um, yeah, the abyss, great movie. Uh, (laughs) um, any closing thoughts, Chris, before we wrap it up today? I just, you know, I don't dislike those avatar movies. Uh, they're, they're technical marvels and I enjoy watching them, especially the second one. But I, I really wish Jim Cameron would make a non-Avatar movie again. That's really what I want. And it, like, come on, Jim. I know you can do it. I know you have plans to make Avatar movies until like 2045 or whatever. But <laughs> there's got to be like room for at least one non-Avatar movie in there. Like, come on, give it to us. I, I, like, there's got to be. The Abyss 2. Yeah, I would take I would even take that. Like just something that's not Avatar. And I not to not to diss Avatar because I do think those are those are pretty good movies, but I I want a non-Avatar movie for Jim Cameron. Just one. I I refuse to believe he's gonna end his career only doing Avatar movies. That would be that would be sad. It would be a tragedy. We we deserve at least one more non-Avatar movie. Yep, I'm right there with you. Uh, you and I can hope. I don't know if we'll if we'll be hoping fruitlessly, but um, but we'll see what happens. But in the meantime, uh, I encourage people to check out the Abyss. Um, actually, let me let me look this up in real time. Uh, 4K release date. I want to give people the right information here. Okay, so the Abyss Collector's Edition is going to launch digitally in 4K. Uh, on December 12th, December 12th, so only a few days from now. Yeah. Um, and then evidently it's going to be coming out in uh, uh, some sort of combo pack in March of 2024. So anyway, um, yeah, check that out. Uh, December 12th looks like the, the main date there. Um, okay, I think that's going to do it for today's episode of the show. Uh, you can find more about The Abyss and a bunch of the stuff that we talked about on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. I will also link to that New York Times piece that, that goes behind the scenes uh, in case people want like a direct uh, access point to learn more about the making of this movie. Um, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can uh, subscribe to our newsletter. There's a link for that in the show notes as well. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailback topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week.